You're listening to a message from the church at Rutledge. For more information about TCAR, please visit thechurchatrutledge.org. Here we are still in the book of Mark. We've made it to chapter 12, and there are 16 chapters in this book, so we're close to the end. You may be happy or sad about that. I don't know which, but um, six or so more. I know there's just four more chapters, but a lot of that breaks down a little different um, to cover some things, so probably about six more Sundays on Mark which will actually continue after Christmas and the 29th, the 22nd, 29th, next two Sundays. Then we'll pick back up in the book of Mark because we'll do a Christmas uh, message will be next Sunday. And then the next Sunday we're going to do the Lord's Supper here together, have a message about the Lord's Supper and um, talk about that and um, maybe talk about the cross a lot. Um, I've, I've had it in me to break the cross out again that we've got back here in the storage area and explain some of that again so <clears throat> may do some of that but that'll be the next two Sundays and then back to the book of Mark to finish it out then figure out where we want to go from there but uh, also next Sunday we'll have I don't know if I'll word this right I've been pressured to word this correctly um, it's not like a heavy breakfast there's not going to be like biscuits and gravy and you know the full uh, Shoney's buffet spread okay um, I know, um, but we will have some breakfast foods, um, some stuff you can pick up and eat, and it will satisfy you, hopefully. Well, maybe not Tony, but it will most people, Tony and Tony. Um, <clears throat> but just eat you some ice cream before you come, and you'll be happy. Um, but we'll have some breakfast stuff, so if you get here about 10, invite somebody to come with you. The Coffee, hanging out in here. It'll just be a really good time together to get to know people better, even people in the church better that you may not know. Eat some food. You don't have to fix anything at home. Just come eat with us. Um, it'll be a great time together. Uh, so please come early and invite somebody to come with you next Sunday is Christmas. It's a great time to invite that person you've always wanted to invite because people are more likely to come on Christmas or Easter uh, kind of thing. So utilize that and invite them and just say, hey, come on down got breakfast for you and I'll take you out to lunch afterwards and so one meal on us and one meal on you they should be happy right and so let's do that next Sunday um, again we're in chapter 12 but I want to mention something at the end of chapter 11 because obviously all this goes together so every time I, I do skip something I'm, there's that angst in me of Okay, but this so this connects to the next part and the next part in such good context. But so I'll just mention what happens there at the end of chapter eleven, and I'll tell you I've I've struggled a little bit with this one and going through some of the things I want to talk about because like these are all good points and I want to cover them, but there's a lot of that information in there. Well, you know who these people are, and you know where this is, and you know what this is, and and so I struggle with like feeling like is this the message of useless information or is this like actually going to be relevant? Even though I know context and learning things about the Bible, it's all good. So it's just that internal spiritual struggle of, of all that, but it is what it is. And, and hopefully it'll land where it's supposed to land. But we're, at the end of chapter 11, we skip this part 
where the, I think it's interesting when you look at the progression in this chapter 12, even going back to chapter 11, of these people who come after Jesus. I mean, it goes through everybody that's the, the leaders of that time in with the nation of Israel from the Pharisees, chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees, and then it gets to the Herodians and um, and the Pharisees together. Then you get to the Sadducees. I mean, it's like all these groups of people come at him in this section of Scripture. It's pretty intense, um, and it's all a challenge over one specific thing with Jesus and what they're trying to do to him. And so what we skipped at the end of chapter 11, the chief's priests and the scribes are challenging Jesus over his authority. Who are you to be able to do these things that you're doing? Remember, he's just turned over the tables in the temple, ran the money changers out. He's got that going on. And so they're questioning him by what authority do you, what authority you have to, to be able to do these things, right? And so Jesus asked them a question to turn things around on the priests and the scribes. And he asked, was the baptism of John was that from heaven or was that just of man? He asked them that question. And you just got to understand, we're talking about God here. Like he's not going to go, oh man, you got me. You know, oh, that's a tough one. Hey, I'm going to go pray and ask God and maybe I can come up with, maybe he can come up with an answer for that because you're pretty smart. I know we created you, but you got me on that one. Like there's none of that going on, right? It's like, his answers are just so that's that's an it's another reason why why I get in that place where I go, man didn't write this. Okay? Because they wouldn't come up with answers like this. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from men? See if the answer is is that the baptism of John was from heaven, right? Uh, I haven't had enough coffee, so I'm not able to even stand up this morning. If the if the plus just so you know, Andrew's got me nervous. He's put Facebook Live down here. I just have to tell this to the whole world. And he's like, you can't go past like this point. And, you can't. and I'm used to like walking out. So I'm like a little nervous. And I'm like, Ooh, don't go that far. Right. So sorry. Okay. Um, so if I leave you, I'm sorry. I'm over here somewhere. Um, um, now, where was I? Okay. If, it's, if, if the baptisms was from heaven, okay. Then they're prescribed. Then it's saying, "Well, the authority you have is prescribed from heaven, is from God. Like there's no nobody can question you. Like you have the authority of God behind you. But if it was from man, see, there's all these people standing around there. If you remember baptism of John, that like they probably been baptized. They may have got baptized by John. Like people liked John. Like they were like he was the one said was like they got who he was, and they were baptized. A lot of people baptized by him." So the people liked John. There was no criticism about what happened. So it's kind of like he's called him in. Well, if you agree with me, you know what you're saying, and that my authority's from heaven. But if you disagree and say it's for man, then you're going to be in trouble with all these people standing around here. They're going to start to question you. So he like traps them back in response. And so they question him. He asks them that, and they kind of go, um, we're not going to answer that. And that's just that's and he goes, well then I'm not going to answer you either. Okay, see you later. And they walk away, right? Because it's like, okay, we got each other. Um, really, just stump them. 
And so we get to chapter 12, and Jesus goes into this parable. I have to tell you that because this parable that he goes into directly relates to that issue in the coming stories that we get into to address the very issue that Jesus had with these guys because you've got all these religious leaders who are trying to discredit Jesus. They're, they're afraid of him. He's messing up their system, especially the Sadducees, right? And we'll get to it in just a moment. So we get to chapter 12. And we just had that scenario, and here's what happens in chapter 12, verse 1. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a wall around it and dug a vat under the wine press and built a tower. And that may be in some capital or some specific way denoted in your Bible because he's quoting some Old Testament scripture, and we'll explain that in a minute. Okay? and rented it out to vine growers and went on a journey. And you can kind of, as you're reading this, you'll go, okay, I know who the, the, the man that planted the vineyard, the owner of the vineyard, I can see who he is, and, and you'll kind of get who the son is, right? That's pretty easy to figure out. At the harvest time, he sent a slave to the vine growers in order to receive some of the produce of the vineyard from the vine growers. They took him and beat him and sent him away empty-handed. Again, he sent another slave, and they wounded him in the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and that one they killed, and so with many others, beating some and killing others. He had one more to send, a beloved son. He sent him last of all to them, saying, Don't respect my son. But those vine growers said to one another, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. They took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. And so then he asked him a question. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the vine growers and will give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? And then he quotes Psalm 118 that we talked about last week. Go back and listen to last week. Um, it was very good in explaining uh, even within this this passage here. Psalm 18, we read last week. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord, and it is marvelous in our eyes. And they were seeking to seize him, and yet feared the people, for they understood that he spoke the parable against them. And so they left him and went away. So all around Judea, there's vineyards. Like They're in a place where they're looking around, and they can see vineyards around them. This was a common analogy for them. It's a, it's a major source of produce and income uh, there in, in Israel, in that area, in Judea at this time, especially that they was, there was a lot of that going on. So they understood the story very well in the context, okay? It was an analogy um, that he's speaking of when it first quoted that. It's an analogy he's, he's quoting from the Old Testament scriptures that these guys would have been very familiar with. And, and it's in various places throughout the Old Testament, like Psalm 80, Isaiah 5, Jeremiah 2. There's all these places that speak of the nation of Israel as a vineyard. So the owner here in the story is God. The servants are the... Who did God send to the people to give them instructions and tell them stuff? The prophets. Okay, So the servants he's sending are these prophets. Okay, is the analogy. And the one and only beloved son that comes is Jesus Christ, obviously. The vine growers 
are leaders, chief priests, the scribes and stuff of the nation of Israel. They're the ones leading on behalf of God with the people, right? So listen to Isaiah 5, 1 through 4, because they would know this. This is something these, these Pharisees and, and scribes would know. It says in Isaiah 5, 1 through 4, Let me sing now for my well-beloved a song of my beloved concerning his vineyard. My well-beloved had a vineyard, vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it all around, removed its stones, and planted it with the choicest vines. And he built a tower in the middle of it and also hewed out a wine vat in it. Then he ex expected it to produce grapes. Okay, you know how I talk about we're supposed to produce fruit as followers of Christ? He expected it to produce good grapes, but it produced only worthless ones. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for my vineyard that I have not done in it? Why, when I expected it to produce good grapes, did it produce worthless ones? And so you see, this is, this is the kind of thing, they would have known exactly what Jesus was saying, that he's saying, this is you, this is the nation of Israel, when he tells them this story. They just get it right away. Prophets that were sent over and over and over to the nation and rejected, some stoned, one sawed in half by a wooden saw, okay? You're like, ow, I cut your heart out with a spoon. Why? Because it hurts more, right? Some of you know the movie that's from, I don't know. Okay? So it's it's Robin Hood, Kevin Costner. Okay? He didn't say it, but it was in that movie. Okay? Anyway, sorry, useless trivia. Brady appreciates it. That's about it, probably. Um, so, so these prophets that are sent over and over, some of them were killed, some of them just rejected and sent away, some of them beaten, just like it says in here about the servants. The rejected son is the rejected cornerstone, who is Jesus standing before them in the moment, telling them this, and telling them, you're doing exactly what Scripture said you would do. Like, you just, we look back on it and go, like, why don't you get this? Like, it's, it should be obvious. And I'll get to it in a minute because this is part of the point of today is thus with us. That rhymed. I didn't mean to sound like Dr. Seuss. Um, so it is with us that we often see it, but we just don't want to do it. We just, we want our own agenda, want to do things our own way, want to live by our own morals, don't want God to be our God. We want to be our God, so we just go, I'm going to reject the obvious. Even though all everything says this is true, we sometimes just reject it. And so that's what they're doing. He is, he's telling them they're going to do exactly what Scripture says they're going to do. It's awesome because Peter, later on in Acts chapter 4, he's going to be talking to a bunch of people, to some of these folks, and this is after everything has happened as far as death, burial, resurrection, and he's, 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 gonna, he's here, so he's, he's hearing this, and I can just imagine him going in that moment in Acts chapter 4 going, That's, I get it now. That's what he was talking about when he was telling that story. He was talking about these people, so in Acts chapter 4, he actually says to them, Jesus, the, the very one you killed was the Messiah. He was the cornerstone 
that the builders rejected. He quotes it back to them standing there in Jerusalem. He, 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 it's the very psalm he says to them, quotes 118, just like Jesus does here. And at, after, and it's funny because it's, he responds that way after these people question Peter on what authority does he have to heal this person he's healed. And so he answers the way Jesus answers. He says, well, I do this on by the authority of the one who was the cornerstone you rejected. He points to Jesus. So that's where our authority comes from. So, so it's amazing how this plays out. So in, the, in this instance, they're like stumped. They, they're like, okay, um, good story. We're just going to leave. Okay, because you're calling us that. We don't want to have bad mojo with people, so we're just going to leave. Okay? So they went away. They couldn't challenge his authority in front of the people. So later, we will see the nation follow its leaders. Here they leave, and they don't. the people don't follow them. They're still interested in who's this Jesus guy. And so the Pharisees, chief priests, the Sadducees uh, reject Jesus as the Messiah, um, the very one that was told to them would come. And so we celebrate the coming of Jesus this time of year but they re- they rejected the coming of Christ to them. They and they didn't they didn't reject Jesus because of a lack of evidence. Okay? No. They rejected Jesus simply because they just didn't want to receive him. They simply chose not to for their own reasons. Not because it wasn't true. Not because the evidence wasn't there. Not because they could prove or come up with something to go, see, you're not the Messiah. They couldn't do any of that. There's people come along in the past they could do that with. Not with him. And the human race has been that way ever since. It's what I alluded to earlier. Right up to today, the abundance of evidence is is astounding. I mean, logically, philosophically, Scientifically, historically, the evidence that points to God and to creation and Jesus Christ as our Savior, to me and to many others, is just overwhelming. It's really unrefutable. And I watch person after person reject Christ. And you can put it in different ways, you know predisposed to Christ or don't want to receive Him, choose not to receive Him for their own reasons, not that they would admit it, you know. They wouldn't admit and say, well, I just don't want to be accountable to God or anybody else, and I want to live by my morals and the things that I think are going to make me happy, not by what He says is ultimately going to be best for me. People wouldn't just outright say that, so they... They look into it and go, well, it's, that's just a big fairy tale. And I think man came up with that whole Bible thing, and it's not really legit. And uh, they, they just, you know, they come up with all these conspiracy theories about how it all came about. And it's just copies of other stories, and there's no science. It contradicts science. It, the Bible contradicts itself, they'll say. There's all this stuff they come up with to, to make themselves feel better about the fact. I just don't want to believe it. I mean, that's the bottom line. I, 
I'm not even going to give it a fair chance because I don't even like how, how that plays out. I just don't even want to live that way. I don't want to be accountable for these things that I'm doing that I like. I really enjoy doing this. And if I walk that way, I'd have to stop that. And I just don't want to. And, and that's a lot what's going on with the religious leaders here. Even though they don't see it, they think they're very religious and ritualistic, legalistic. They've got all the, I'm keeping the law, I'm a good guy. And their own self-righteousness, they don't want to walk away from. They just feel good about themselves. And they're making a lot of money. Okay? Especially the Sadducees, okay, that we'll talk about in a moment. Okay? But it's not because the evidence isn't there. They just don't want to. And so there's plenty of evidence, but just don't want to believe it. Always looking for a way these guys are to disprove or catch people like they were Jesus. There's people that do that to me, probably to you. If you call yourself a Christian, there's people that want to catch you. They want to give you a question that you just can't answer. You can't answer that question, so I have to believe what you believe. I'm walking away. As though we have to have the answer for every question. And a lot of times, just be honest, that's always be honest, but there's times I have to say, I don't know. Or there's times I say, well, here's the answer. I know that's not what you want to hear. Or you get to say, well, what if you looked at it this way? You know, you get so many people say, well, the God of the Old Testament is so not like Jesus. He was so harsh and merciful and killed all those people and it was so bloody and all this stuff. And it's like, it's the same God all throughout Scripture. Do you know how merciful he was with all those people? If you actually would go back and read it, I know you just got this off the internet or for some, from some atheist friend, okay? But if you would actually go back and read the Bible for yourself, you'll see how God gave the very people he would say to go in and wipe all those folks out. He gave them chance after chance after chance. If you do your research, he, 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 his mercy was incredible for all those people. He was very kind, despite their rejection of him, despite their just blatant living for other gods, doing other things. And so he's really the same loving, merciful God he's always been. Anyway, so Mark chapter 12, verse 13, it goes on to say, then they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. So here we go again. Okay, same thing. And they're going to do it again after this, okay? But here's the thing about this one. This is such a strange combination of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians. They hated each other, okay? It, it, there's some kind of, I'm thinking of some kind of saying, um, hatred makes strange bedfellows or something like that. Somebody, know, somebody older than me know that saying? Because <laughs> I, I think that's about right, yeah? So it's like, you have somebody you hate, but hey, I hate him more than I hate him. So hey, we both hate him, so let's partner together to get him. Even though I don't like you, and after this, we'll just part ways, but let's work together on this one, right? And so, these guys, people who are enemies themselves coming together to take down Jesus. The Pharisees, they're the ritualists, the legalists, the 
and the, the Herodians are their enemies, okay? The Herodians, we've talked about them before. If you go back a couple, two, three weeks, we talked about the Herodians are these people who um, were very politically inclined. They had swore allegiance to um, King Herod uh, Antipas, okay, if you remember that whole story in the where Jesus crossed over the river, and we talked about them asking them about divorce. Remember that message? That this is Herodians were people who followed King Herod over in that in, in that area under his dynasty, Roman dynasty under him. And so they were very politically inclined folks. And you can imagine how that would separate the Pharisees from them, because here's these people who are following the very people who oppressed, who come into their land and oppressed them. And so they're on the outs with each other. And so in verse 14 it says, They came and said to him, Teacher. Now you remember a few weeks ago too, we said, Take note when you read, like every little word is important. Like even if you hear them say, Teacher. Even in that, they're admitting, We don't think you are who you say you are. But you see people get it. And they're like the guy that was healed we talked about a few weeks ago, when he would call him Son of David, like he's saying, You are the, the Messiah from the, that's been prophesied about all this time how they address him says a lot about how you address him says a lot about what you think about him or do you just not talk about him at all it's an issue in of itself too and they came and said to him teacher we know that you are truthful and defer to no one no respecter of persons and you are not partial to any they're buttering him up real good like like he's probably sitting there going yeah I hear you, you know. But teach the way of God in truth. It's such a setup. They're lying. I mean, he's just going, you guys are lying. You don't really think that. So they're setting him up. And he says, is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or not pay? Now, you can imagine with the crowd that's gathered here, this is a tough one. Again, they're going, we got him. Okay, it's God. He's got an answer for you, okay? Taxation at this time was a, a huge issue. I know it is to us. Like, we have all those things we hear debated. Should the rich be taxed more than poor and less? And is this fair and how much? And all these tax arguments. I mean, it's never ending. Never ending, okay? But this was a, to them, it was a bigger issue because they were taxed by Rome, not even their own nation, Okay? They're under occupation by a foreign nation taxing them to death, using their own people that end up extorting more money out of them than the taxes they should be collecting. Okay. And and the thing to remember is, is on one side, even for us today, taxes are just, they're necessary. Like there's a side of this that goes, there's roads, there's there's systems in place, there's there's so many things the operation of the society that we actually want that you can't have without taxes. I mean, it's just the way it is. Okay, If you want to live in safety, you know, because we have police and military, you've got to be taxed so that stuff can be paid for. Right? And there's a whole other argument. Is everybody getting paid the way they should be paid? And other people getting paid more than they should be paid, right? But So there's that side of we need taxes on one side, but then on the other side, overtaxing a nation can cause a whole other 
pot of issues, right? Puts people in poverty, ruins a nation, causes all sorts of problems. Always controversial. Roads have to be paid for. Back then, you know, you had the Roman aqueducts, you had water, you had all these things. They even had, and, and think of this for them, okay? We pay our taxes, and and it's our police, our military that we're paying for. For them, they're paying for police and military that are the very, very soldiers that came in and oppressed them, right? So you can imagine how they feel about that, right? The Pax Romana, all these soldiers put everywhere around the Roman world, which was most of the world, known world at that time. And they're, they put all these soldiers everywhere to ensure safe passage of people from place to place. The, the Roman peace, the Pax Romana. So there's these kind of like police force there to make sure everybody behaves, okay? And the, the, the nation of Israel is helping pay for that. And these are the guys that came in and killed part of my family and took over the nation of Israel, right? So you imagine how they feel about that, right? Took away their freedom. And so, so here's, here's the point on this one, even though the point of the story is about more about authority and them trying to trip him up. But there are people who argue that the Bible and doesn't teach that we should pay our taxes. As a Christian, I shouldn't have to pay that. Or God told me I didn't have to pay my taxes. Really? I've actually heard that one once before from a guy. And I was like, what? I don't think that was God because that contradicts what the Bible says. Like, how can that be? Right? Well, it's okay to cheat on your taxes because it's not fair that they're taxing me for that anyway. It's not the legal way to go about trying to argue that, okay? There's legal ways to protest and petition and try to get things changed in government, and cheating on your taxes isn't one of them, okay? It's, you, it's, you can't justify those kind of behaviors with the Bible anyway. I mean, you, if you're not a Christian, you want to justify it somehow. That's another story. But if you're saying I'm a Christian, you can't justify it that way. So, so they're trapped. And, and so given the, the dynamic between Rome and Israel here, they're trapping Jesus, trying to divide the crowd and get people angry at him. Okay, because you've got two sides. If he, if he said, pay taxes. Yeah, you're supposed to pay your taxes. The Israelites are going to hate. They're going to be like, really? You're telling us you're one of you're our Messiah supposed to be. And you're going to tell us to pay taxes to the people who came in and took over our nation when you're supposed to be setting us free? Like you can see how that would put him at odds with with his own people. But if he said, don't pay taxes, now he's committed a crime against Rome that they're occupied by and the Romans would come after him probably because the Herodians would make sure that they did. So you can see the Pharisees are there should we pay taxes? Don't tell us we should pay taxes because the nation of Israel were illegally occupied. We've been taken over. Herodians, hey, the, we got to go with the system. Just go with the flow. It's how it is. So let's take advantage of it. Yeah, we're supposed to pay taxes. So, so that's why these two have come together to go, either way, we've got him. So listen to verse 15. But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. And they brought one. See, and here's, here's what even is the bigger rub. 
is the very image on the coin. It's of Caesar. Um, I'm not remembering at the time who Caesar. It, it's, it's under Caesar Augustus, but it's whoever's next. Or it's in that. Anyway, there's a picture of Caesar on one side. On the other side is a picture of the of the Caesar in priest-like robes sitting on the throne. And there's words on it that says, that claims divinity for the Caesar because it says it's son of the divine Caesar Augustus or something to that effect. But it claims divinity and puts him on there as a priest, right? So, And thus, what's the second commandment? To the Israelites was make no graven image, right? So here, the very money they're being forced to pay taxes with is a graven image, right? They don't even they they didn't they didn't like that kind of coinage or anything like that because they weren't supposed to make something like that. So it was even more offensive to them to have to use this form of money. And he said to them, "Whose likeness and inscription is this?" And they said to him, "Caesar's." And Jesus said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. Isn't that strange? He says, mankind has a spiritual obligation, but also has a human obligation to where we live now. We're citizens of heaven if we're his. That is true. But we are also in this time, on this earth, as we walk here today, citizens of the United States, the state of Tennessee, whatever town or place, you're, you're a citizen of that place. And we are to pay taxes according to Scripture. And so for us as Christians, we are to obey and pay because God says so. Paul said it in Romans 13, 1-6, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they have opposed will, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Then get out of the car when they tell you to get out of the car. Okay, you've seen enough YouTube videos know that, right? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid, for it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God, an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. I did a message some time ago, and that's why I said just what I did a minute ago about get out of the car, because that's our military, our police, it's they're not sinning when they have to go so far as to use lethal force to enforce the law. Okay, this scripture is saying God has set those things up, and those people are put in place to punish those who do evil, even if it has to be by the sword. Okay, so an officer of the law is not sinning when they enforce the law, even with the sword, with lethal. It's just, or the military, when they go somewhere commissioned by our government to do what they do. And I know there's so much guilt and stuff associated with that. I've stood with guys who've been talked to them who've had to fire a weapon. There, you know, people who come back from the military, I've sat and talked with guys and the PTSD and the things they had to do 
it's if you're following orders, if you're doing what you're supposed to do, you're staying within the law yourself. There's there's you're okay. Like God's saying, you you've been put there by the government governing authorities to do that very thing. That's not on you. You're okay. You know. So he goes on to say, therefore, it is necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience sake, for because of this, he just says this, for because of this, you also you also pay taxes for rulers and servants of God devoting themselves to this very thing. Remember. Fair taxation is, you know, there's two sides of it. We have to pay taxes, but it needs to be fair or you get, you know, you're going to oppress people and you're going to cause problems in your nation. But there's a right way to go about protesting those taxes and a wrong way to go about it. Okay, so hear me on that one because I know people are going to leave and go, you know, get be mad over taxes. Okay, remember it's about your relationship with God, not about my preaching on taxes. Okay, I'm just reading you scripture. Okay, I think that this is pretty plainly stated, so that's why I'm saying that. Okay, it doesn't matter if you like a certain law or not. Like you just you were supposed to follow it. And if you want, you can protest, petition within within the legal limits of that law. But above all, you give to God what is God's. He has the right to have your worship, just like the government has their right to taxes. He has a right to your worship, have your allegiance, have your submission. Him is your highest treasure. Give what money you're supposed to give to Caesar. Give your life to God. That's what that says to me in there. Give what money you're supposed to to Caesar. Give your life to God. Let's look at one more incident like, like this and we'll finish today. Another group gets in on this. This is the Sadducees. Okay, The scribes get in on it next, but we won't cover that till we come back to the book of Mark. Okay? Pick up after Christmas and so forth. But the Sadducees were another group, and their name literally means the righteous ones. Okay? I'm sure they named themselves. Okay? But that, it began with Zadok, the high priest at the time of David. They no longer exist after the temple in 70 AD is destroyed. Um, they just kind of faded away and, and didn't exist anymore. And you never hear about them again. But they were very much in charge up to this point. Okay, The Pharisees were the ritualists, the legalists, you know, and the Sadducees were these considered rationalists. Let's be rational about this, right? Okay, they didn't believe in the resurrection or any kind of resurrection. Okay, of coming back from the dead, they didn't believe in a resurrection or angels or spirits or miracles or anything in that realm of of thinking. You know, like that's just not even rational. That doesn't exist. They didn't believe in any Old Testament scriptures except for the first five books of Moses. Right? And and they're all about the earthly things, the earthly realm, because they had no hope for the future. I mean, they're going, there is nothing after this. There is no resurrection. This is it. And so therefore, you, you just get what you can right now. Okay? Most of them were wealthy because of that. They didn't believe in the resurrection. So I got to get what I can get now, enjoy it now, because after that, there's nothing, okay? And they were upset, you can imagine. These guys are the guys that are in charge of the temple. 
and its inter enterprises, right? So when he runs the money changers out of the temple and turns over the tables, you can imagine they get a little bit upset, right? They ran the temple, and so turning over the tables was got him on the outs with them for sure. So verse 18, some Sadducees who say there's no resurrection, which they just put that in there, so I just explained to you, make that clear, came to Jesus and began questioning, questioning him, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves behind a wife and leaves no child, his brother should marry the wife and raise up the children to his brother. There were seven brothers. The first took a wife and died leaving no children. The second one married her and died leaving behind no children. And the third likewise. And so all seven left no children. Okay, at this point in my mind, hopefully in yours you're going, what's this lady putting in her cooking? Okay. Like, this question has no valid response other than somebody needs to talk to the authorities. There should have been autopsies done because there's something going on here, okay? I'm sure all these guys got cremated very quickly, okay? I'd be asking some questions, okay? And I, if I was like the fifth, sixth brother and I see this coming, I'd be like, uh-uh. Nope. I know it's some kind of Old Testament law. I'm denouncing my Jewishness. I am not doing this anymore, okay? I'm out, okay? Anyway, that's when I read this, I just go, that there's, but it's a made-up story they're trying to trap him with, okay? Last of all, the woman died also in the resurrection, which they don't believe in. So you know it's a trap, right? In the resurrection, when they rise again, which one's wife will she be? For all seven had married her. So will she have multiple uh, husbands in heaven? Is that the way that's going to work? I'm sure there's some out there going, finally get to turn this thing around, right? Okay, again, they don't believe in the resurrection. It's exactly why they asked this question, okay? To, to show him, this isn't even rational. Like even after this happens, there's, it doesn't make any sense. Like this can't be. They're trying to make the idea of the resurrection sound as crazy as possible to disprove Jesus. They think they're so smart and have Jesus trapped by the scriptures. By the way, uh, I think was it our first or third anniversary? We went to Louisville, and the guy stopped us on the street and asked the question. Is that our first anniversary? We go to Louisville. We're walking down the street, um, Nikki and I, and this guy comes up. You can tell right away. So this guy's this is a Mormon kid on mission he approaches us and we had a conversation i love having conversations with with these guys and um talking to them about these things because he he comes up and he's like hey uh, how you doing like starts talking to us of course you're in downtown louisville so but you're not afraid because of how he's dressed you're like okay we know what this is going to be and so he starts talking he's trying to get their whole goal is to get that book of mormon in your hand doesn't matter what else happens as long as they get that book of mormon in your hand um which i'll take you know i've got one i've read quite a bit of it i study other religions so i know what they believe and what their book says um you cut that off for a minute i'll take them and i'll throw them away because i've already got one um and so um i have a good friend i probably shouldn't have said that um anyway so it, he knows how i feel it and it's one of those things of 
Um, so he's having this conversation, and he's like, so why are y'all here? Well, we're here on the first anniversary. Oh, did you know that in the Mormon church, you and your wife could have your marriage sealed so you could be together in heaven? Otherwise, you can't. Really? So, knowing this story, I, I played the Sadducee. Okay, and I said, well, let me ask you. You know, in the book of Mark, it tell, Jesus tells a story, or is asked a question about, there's this deal about seven, this lady's married seven different guys, the brother, he dies, he dies, and I tell him the story. And I said, and do you know Jesus' answer? And he's like, just kind of, and I was like, well, it's an interesting story because Jesus said we won't be married in heaven. So I'm kind of confused on what you're telling me. Well, just take this Book of Mormon and read it. You know, that's that's the like that's the default. If you kind of got them and they don't know what to do, it's like, well, if you just take this Book of Mormon and read it, okay. So that and that ended. So, so I used this passage to answer him about that one, and he goes on. Here's what it says in verse 24. Jesus said to them, "Is this not the reason you are mistaken that you do not understand the Scriptures or the power of God?" Okay. Your version, there are versions that say that Jesus basically just calls them idiots. Okay, he just says you're you're ignorant is the word that's used in some translations. You're ignorant because you don't know the scriptures. You don't even know your the own thing you're quoting. Okay, you do not understand the scriptures or the power of God. For when, not if, you got here's where you got you got to pay attention to every little detail about scripture. Okay tense the the subject the you know all this all this stuff you got it everything about it for when not if they rise from the dead they neither marry nor are given in marriage so he's saying well we're just brothers and sisters in heaven it doesn't matter we're not that marriage isn't the deal there okay and i know some of you are like yes and some of you're like oh, okay about that whole deal sorry however you're you're in on that that's fine um but we'll be together. I I think based on some other things that, like Nikki and I will know that we were married, have special. We will know know and be fully known. I think what they're saying we'll know things that happened here on earth and that she and I had a special relationship. But but all that won't be the same way. And I'll explain a little bit more of that in just a second. They they neither marry given a marriage, but are like angels, not in heaven. They aren't angels. Okay. They're like angels, not actual angels. And the reason he says that is because angels never die. Okay? And so it's why in heaven there's no need to reproduce or procreate. Okay? You have to understand that part. This really, when I was looking at this, it, it, it was very interesting to think, see, because here we physically die, so there's the need for the human race to continue. You have to multiply and fill the earth, right? Once we're in heaven, there's no need to for that anymore because we live forever so we'll all go on forever okay we live in, in we will live on forever human race will continue but we have to hear because of physical death okay so that's and that's a whole nother like sit down conversation if that you kind of go what okay but he goes on to say but regarding the fact that the dead rise again have you not read in the book of moses so he gives them back their own book he goes i'm smart enough to know you're not going to listen to anything else other than those five 
books, right? He knows where they're quoting from. Have you not read in the book of Moses in the passage about the burning bush, how God spoke to him saying, I am, remember tense and everything is important here, okay, it's important. I am the God of Abraham, not I was. I am presently in this moment. I am the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living. You are greatly mistaken. I mean, that's just, to me. I'm just going Ooh, burn. That's like awesome. Like he comes up with, like that's just perfect. Okay, uses the very argument and the ones they they are so dedicated to, but. He's saying, he uses the, 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 this is Exodus chapter 3 that he's quoting from, from Moses, to show them their error. He states that, he basically looks at them and goes, well, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the very ones from the book you're talking about, they're alive. Okay? He, he, he couldn't be their God if they no longer existed. He would have said, I was their God. Okay? He said, I am their God, present, present tense. However you believe about how all the little details play out and the timing and all that. Just, but awaiting physical resurrection, but spiritually they're, they're, they're with, with God, still alive, going on. Again, what they are trying to do is catch Jesus going against the Scriptures and making somebody mad, proving somehow that Jesus doesn't have the authority from heaven. That's the whole point having that authority from God. And they refer to a law that's in Deuteronomy chapter 25 called the law of leveret marriage. Okay, And what it was set up to do was protect the widow, protect the woman in this scenario where her husband dies so that her the land and the belongings don't leave the family and go somewhere else, but they stay and can go to kids she has in the future or whatever or her kids. It stays in that family in that it protects the family name. Because a brother comes in who has the same family name and takes her in and it stays in that family and keeps for future generations all that's protected for their family. Okay? And it just doesn't get taken by somebody else. Um, so a brother could step in and take all that over and give it and she gets to keep it. You see that in the book of Ruth. Remember the story about Ruth? And if you know that story, her husband dies and so she marries Boaz, which isn't exactly... A brother, if I remember, it's more like a cousin, but there's there's a reason why the brother was not legit to be able to marry. So he become Boaz becomes her kinsman redeemer, is the way you'll hear it referred to. Okay, so that whole story, if you read that, is a, is a, is a, plays out about this law, and it has really neat implications in the story. Okay, there is a there is a resurrection, just so you know. Okay, so that's. All these things, they're trying to disprove Jesus and all these things about him and who he says he is. And, and even with these guys, to deny the resurrection. There is a resurrection. Jesus is the ultimate redeemer who died, rose from the dead, and gives us the power to do the same after this life is over. <coughs> well, actually, if we're his, we never spiritually die. This body will die. Our spirit goes on to be in one of two places, heaven or hell, to be with God or to be separated from God forever. That's the two options. Hell is hell because it's just all of God's goodness. His, his 
goodness presence is removed from that place. It's people who say, I don't want God. Well, every good thing that is comes from God. So what you're saying is, I don't want anything good. So, okay. So, well, you don't have to be there with everything that's good. You can be in the place with everything that's bad. Okay? So people often go, why would loving God send people to hell? Well, he doesn't. People just reject God and go, I don't want him and his goodness. I want hell. I mean, that's just, you can't put it any more simple. I mean, it's just, it, however you look at that, it's a choice, okay? Romans 1 is what it all spells out. They said no to God in their heart, so he gives them over to their depraved minds, grating passions, all that. It's, it's this process where people say, no God, no God, no God. Literally says, they have said in their heart, no God. And so that's that's how that leads you there, is by your rejection of Him. You know, we will live on with Jesus if we are His. Listen, if it's all these statements of Jesus, this book, it's it's the scriptures are true and accurate, even in tense and grammar. You've heard every jot, all the punctuation, everything about it. Okay, you can count on it. Or you can reject it in spite of the evidence. And that's what it comes down to. You can do like the spiritual leaders of the time that we were reading about, as many people do, and reject the authority of Jesus simply because they want to. I mean, there's people you'll talk to, and you can talk to your blue in the face, and, and, and you probably have at times. I have too. They're just not, they just don't want to. There's no use going on and on and on about it. Especially when you see them getting aggravated, they don't want to talk about it anymore. Don't. There's no point in pushing it. They don't want to. God is 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 working in their lives, obviously, because you're there. But there's more to be done on God's side of drawing them and the conviction and the Holy Spirit's part. And 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 you do what you're supposed to do, and you talk to them. You don't have to get anybody mad. You don't have to argue with anybody. We're, we're to do what we do with love. You just understand they're not rejecting you. They just don't want the Jesus that you love. And I know that's hard because you understand the end points of what I was talking about. But you just can't make them. You can't. They don't want to. They don't want to. But it doesn't keep us from trying. You just pray harder. Because it's on the spiritual level where you're really going to make as much a difference as actually telling them and showing them what you need to do also. And you can, you know, people can be like the spiritual leaders we're reading about, or there's a lot of people that do. And they just they just want to keep living apart from the accountability and the morals that God brings to the picture of the one who created us. It's a choice. So I just, the thing to ask this morning is just simply this. Are you being called out by God right now if you've not ever had that happen for you? Do you feel Him pulling you, calling you, and you need to surrender to the truth that's before you? If you do, you just say yes to God right now. You don't, you just quit rejecting that and rejecting that. Just receive that. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus and what He did for you, then you just do that right now. And so, let's pray together.
Father, I just pray if there's someone here this morning who feels that pull, they feel that you tapping them on the shoulder, you calling out their name, however they would sense that or feel that, that they would stop um, resisting, stop saying no. I pray that your Holy Spirit would convict them and one, they would see the error of their ways and, and yeah, feel bad about their sin, but yet would just turn to you, ask you for forgiveness, realizing you made a way because you died on the cross in, the, in their place for their sin that, that they could be forgiven and that that conviction and that sorrow would turn to joy for them this morning because they know the truth. It has set them free from their guilt and their shame. And now they have new life in Christ and know that they would follow Him and be with you, Father, forever. So, Father, I pray they would get that. They would have that conversation with you. They would stand up for who you are and what they believe and not be ashamed of that. So, Father, just help them in this moment to, to have that conversation with you, to surrender to you, for you to be Lord of their life, not them. Father, I pray that we would truly trust the authority of Your Word. We would trust in the, the God-breathed words that we have in this book called the Bible. The authority of God and the authority of Jesus. The Word became flesh. I just pray that we would rejoice in the new life that we have in You, Father, through Your Son, Jesus. That we could live forever. That we could have the hope of the resurrection that, yeah, this, this body is going to die. If You don't come back before this body physically dies, it will die. Regardless of modern medicine, it's just the way it is. But Father, may we just see the hope in, in that we will rise again and we will be with You forever. We'll be in community with, with all the saints one day forever. And Father, for now, would we just follow You right now as You have called us to, to obey Your morals, being accountable to You, doing things Your way for Your glory. And so I just pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.